Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So, uh, would you go to the next slide for me? Our title today is, This is Not the Messiah You Are Looking For. Anybody know what I stole that from? Star Wars, yeah. So these are not the droids you are looking for. Uh, You know, so so, uh, Jesus shows up. The, the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have been looking for a Messiah, praying for a Messiah, waiting for a Messiah for hundreds of years, literally. And he shows up, and they start to realize, hey, this just might be the guy. This actually might be the Messiah. And they were initially very excited about that. Yay, what we've been waiting for is finally happened. Uh, and the expectation was Jesus would set them free. He would, he would break them out of the oppression of Roman rule. He would reestablish Israel as its proper place uh, in, the, in, the, in the world as the people of God, the chosen people of God, and they would all live happily ever after. But uh, as, as the story goes, it didn't take very long until people started to kind of wonder, hmm, is this really the guy? Even John the Baptist, uh, he is arrested and thrown in prison. And, and if, if anybody, I always, it, 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 it's amazing to me, our lives are so controlled by our circumstances. If anyone should have known that Jesus was who he was, it would have been John the Baptist. But things aren't going well for him. And so he's in prison and he even begins to wonder, is is this really the guy? And he sends some folks to ask Jesus, did we miss it? Are you it or not? The idea that uh, was in the hearts and minds of people was that Jesus would take charge. He would come in and, and frankly kick a little Roman booty. He's gonna take over. But instead, he's saying things like, turn the other cheek. If somebody asks for your coat, give them your shirt also. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. No, I don't. Oh, but I didn't. I think that, I forgot to tell you. I, I love the fall to him with Tucker. I love this. My favorite season of the year. I woke up Friday morning with this raging head cold, and so I'm just full of snot. So my apologies. I really did. It's, it's <clears throat> been a wicked couple days. Um. Yeah, but they're saying, no, Jesus, that's, this is not what we thought. This, this really is not the Messiah that we're looking for. <clears throat> so we are um, continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you've not been with us, we are um, up to chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse 18 today. Let's go ahead and read the text together, and then I'll pray real quick, and we'll see if we can uh, take anything away from this. So go ahead. Once... When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it (coughs) for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So, Lord, I just uh, pray that you would open uh, our hearts and minds this morning to receive from you and to really take away from your word uh, whatever truth you have for us this morning. Just uh, uh, bless me as I, as I speak and give me clarity and vision and understanding and be able to breathe. Amen. Just so plugged up. It was, I just woke up like, I, you needed to know that. So you remember, previously, Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away to pray. They wanted some quiet time, some debrief time, and, and they were prevented from doing that because the crowds kept pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. So here, finally, they get that opportunity. <clears throat> so finally, they're away together. It's just Jesus and the guys. They're in this place somewhere private, you know, and they're praying together. It's kind of a little, uh, you know, small group, intimate time. And Jesus has this conversation with them. And he says, so what's, uh, you know, he's kind of like, what's the word on the street? Uh, you know, what, what, what are people saying? What, what's, 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 what's going on out there? What do people say about me? And they say, you know, Jesus, it's, uh, it's all over the map, really. You know, it's John the Baptist, Elijah, prophet. It's just people have all kinds of ideas about you. And then he really gets to the point. And I think this is what he wanted to ask, but he was just kind of leading into the question. And he says, well, what about you? What do you guys think? Um, I'll interject here. I don't know about you. Uh, I find uh, some people are distraught over the condition of the world today. Uh, In as much as I'm not happy about the condition of the world, I find it a very exciting time to live. Uh, To me, I look around, there's so much happening. And uh, it, it's, it's rapidly changing. It's changing daily. And, and so in the midst of that, we live in a time, in a place, in a culture, in a country where there are all kinds of opinions out there as to who Jesus is. Uh, interestingly enough, today, uh, there, there's the vast majority of Americans, I looked it up and now I can't remember, but it's somewhere in the 75 to 80% uh, range, believe that Jesus was a person that there was an actual historical guy named Jesus and that at least some measure of the record in the Bible is, is actually accurate about who he was and what he did. They may not believe the whole thing, but they believe that he existed. Now, when you ask them, who is Jesus? Who was he? <coughs> That's when that number goes down. Was Jesus who he says he was? Was he the son of God? There are any number of people who, as we've mentioned in recent weeks, Think, no, he, I can't buy that. He was probably a wise teacher, a, a, a spiritual leader, someone along those lines. But there is 
a great diversity of opinion in the, in, in the world today as to who Jesus is. And I would say this to, to you and to us. <coughs> and that is that <clears throat> at the end of the day, what really matters is who do you say Jesus is? That's what really matters. Uh, popular opinion is what it is, and it'll change, it'll go up and down, but who do you say Jesus is? And the reality is this, that who you believe Jesus to be in your heart will dictate how you live your life. The decisions we make, the way that we uh, expend our resource, time, energy, money, uh, everything, everything about how we live will, will ultimately be determined by who we think Jesus is. And I just say that to get us to think about maybe what do we think? What do we believe? Where are we at in terms of our understanding of what Scripture says about Jesus? So here Peter responds, and I'm assuming because this is kind of Peter's M.O., he responds for the whole group, but he says God's Messiah. So yay, gold star, Peter, you win. You got it right. Good answer. But then he gets a very interesting response back from Jesus. He gets it right. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. The reality is, I mean, why would Jesus say that? You would think he would want people to know, right? That's the whole goal. But here's the thing. Jesus had a plan (laughs) and he understands the end game. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that as more and more people begin to understand who he really is, that uh, the opposition towards him will grow and that ultimately he knows he will be arrested and he will be crucified, and it's not time yet. It's not time. He has a plan. He's going to work the plan. Uh, he's got some things to do first. And so he wants to sort of unveil who he is progressively, uh, and he begins to explain that to the disciples here. It's interesting uh, because he, doesn't, he says that, that's, that he'll be killed. He doesn't specifically say that he'll be crucified on a cross at this point. He just says he'll be killed. But he follows that up by telling them that they need to pick up their crosses. So in first century Rome, uh, the cross was uh, an instrument of torture and death. We, We lose sight of that a little bit. The upright portion of the cross, and maybe you've seen some artistic depictions of this, was fixed. It was in the ground. There was a hill outside of town somewhere. There would be two or three of these uprights just standing there in the ground. And that was kind of a a warning. You know, behave yourself. Don't break the law, because if you do... And then a convicted criminal would be required to carry the cross piece of that cross with him uh, as he was going to execution. It was, it was, in fact, part of his punishment. There was a humiliation involved in walking through town and up that hill carrying that cross piece uh, that would soon be the instrument of your own death. And that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. Pick up your cross. And not once (coughs) to death, but every day. I want you to pick up your cross every day. I have a a commentary I I, uh, was recommended to me by a friend on the Gospel of Luke by a guy named 
uh, Joel Green. It's, it's really, really good, fantastic. I want to look at what he says about this passage. Uh, he says, for Luke, the theology of the cross is rooted not so much in a theory of atonement. So typically, theologically, when we think of the cross, we think of atonement. But he says it's in a narrative portrayal of the way of faithful discipleship as a way of the cross. The cross isn't just that thing that brings us back into relationship with God, but it really is a way of life. Jesus wants them to pick up their cross every day. Discipleship is the way of the cross. It is daily letting go of my agenda. It's daily laying down my, what I want, you know, my desires, whatever, and it's picking up my cross and living sacrificially on behalf of those around me. The, the, the cross really represents not only atonement to us, but it represents a sacrificial lifestyle. Jesus warns them here to not be ashamed of who he is. And again, why would he say that? What does that mean? So remember, the view of the Messiah was of this conquering warrior. This, this strong person, this great God was going to come and set God's people free. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, and that idea had been really militarized. It was, it was, that's the only way they, they could envision this happening, was in sort of a, a military way. Um, people were looking for a powerful warrior messiah. And it makes sense if you think about it, because we live in a culture, we live in a world that craves power, right? It uh, doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, American Ninja Warrior or other TVs and game shows or uh, whatever, uh, sports, we want to win. We want to conquer. We want to defeat the enemy. That's, that's ingrained in us. It's who we are. It's what we're about. And that's what people were thinking Jesus would do. That's the only approach they could understand to take over the world and become who they were called to be again. So Jesus shows up and he's, he says, okay, guys, here's the plan. This, this is what we're going to do. Okay. First, I'm going to get arrested. Okay. And then I'm going to get beat up really bad, really bad. Then they're going to nail me to a cross and I'm going to die. So just follow my lead. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And, and they're looking at him like going, Jesus, that's not a good plan. Again, the conviction was this military power would come in, take over. We, we understand that biblically, but here's the thing. I don't know if we understand how that mindset has carried forth into 21st century Christianity today. The concept of Christianity and power or force are still conflated today. Go, go to the next slide. Has anybody ever seen anything like that before? It, it, there are literally the bumper stickers and posters and thousands and thousands of memes similar to that. Stand for the flag, kneel for the cross. So there's a flag there, there's a cross, and there's a guy kneeling, but he's not praying 
He has an assault weapon. He's, he appears to be a military person, assault weapon, which is aimed at the cross, which I don't think was the intention. Um, artist needs to work on that a little bit. But, but, but what, what that is communicating is that these two things go together. And it's interesting. Uh, so if you Google, enter in the, in the search line two words, cross flag. Nothing else. Cross flag. Hit search and then look at images. And the first thing you'll see are dozens and dozens of images of the American flag and a cross. Now, again, don't put American flag. Don't put USA. Just put cross flag. You won't see Canadian flags in a cross. You won't see German flags in a cross. You won't see British flags in a cross. You'll see the American flag in a cross. Why is that? I want to, uh, let me time out. Brief caveat. I, I am aware of this sort of mindset that's out there. I don't know if you are or not. If you're not, if, you, if you're not aware that there is sort of this militarization and this Americanization, we're God's chosen people, we're, we're right, they're wrong, that sort of mindset. There are two reasons for that. And I'll tell you what they are. The first is this is that that's not our mindset here. We, we, we don't ascribe to that thinking or believe in it. Typically, when you're in a church, so you relate to other people that sort of think the same way as you. So when I, when I go to meetings and conferences very often, there are vineyard meetings and conferences, I talk to other vineyard pastors. Uh, I, I relate to other churches in our community that think somewhat the same way we do. Our friends at Grace Chapel in Wilsonville, other, you know, Calvary Chapel, Foursquare pastors. I met with a Foursquare pastor the other day. So we all kind of think the same. And, and that's not necessarily the mindset we have. So that's one reason is that we don't, we don't realize really the depth of that mindset that exists in sort of what I would call mainstream evangelicalism today, but, but it, it does. The second reason is this, and it's geographic. It's because we live on the West Coast. And you may or may not know this, but people in different parts of our country think differently. Um, in middle America, the Midwest, people think very differently than they do on the West Coast or the East Coast. West Coast, best coast, right? I guess it depends on who you ask. One of our volunteers at the food bank is from Boston, and we have West Coast, East Coast debates virtually weekly. But the mindset in middle America is very, very different, and you see this much more often there. I, just, I read a book this week, uh, it's a fascinating book, um, called Godland. And it's uh, uh, by a, a woman, a young woman, who is a Christian and, and a writer and a, and a leader. She's not a pastor, but she is a leader. And it's her experience of endeavoring to be a Christian and serve in a local church while living in the Midwest and some of the experiences that she had in that process. And frankly, it's heartbreaking. And you hear over and over again things that we're unfamiliar with, that you can't serve here because you're a woman. Um, there was a, one church had, there was, there was so many complaints she finally had to leave. And one of the biggest complaints was that the pastor had begun posting his weekly sermons on Facebook. And people were not happy about that. 
So people think differently. So if you have not been exposed to that thinking, those are the reasons why. But I want you to know that uh, it is different in different parts of our, of our country. And in the Midwest, being a Christian and being American are virtually synonymous. Uh, I would say being a Christian and being a Republican are virtually synonymous. And that is a mindset. So, so not being an American, but that idea, the, the core idea of that, that God is on our side and his plan is to vindicate us, justify us, use his power and his force to put forth our ideas, vanquish our enemies, and we'll all live happily ever after. That's been around since the day of Jesus. The reality is this, that people are power hungry. We lust after power in our culture. And here's what we do because of that. We project our image onto God rather than allowing God to form his image in us. We make him out to be this warrior God, when in fact he's nothing like that at all. He's the exact opposite of that. And we justify that very often by reading passages in the Old Testament and pointing to those things. And the reality is this. If you look at the Old Testament, there are wars and there are warriors. But those people are never held up as, you know, the people that we look to and value. The people of faith are always the ones held up. And the further you move through the Old Testament, as you get into the prophetic era and begin to come towards the New Testament, that mindset begins to fade away dramatically, and we begin to see more and more this image of a, of a coming God that will be a God of peace. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is the prophet Micah. Micah wrote about 700 years or so before Jesus, roughly the same time as Isaiah, and he says this, a beautiful passage. He, God, will judge between many peoples. He's not, going, he's not saying he will judge people. He will judge between peoples. He'll settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. So people will bring their differences. Think about this. Instead of having a war, people will turn to God and God will settle their differences. What a concept. They will beat their swords into plowshares. We won't need weapons of war. We'll need weapons of agriculture. Their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That's a prophetic look at the heart of God, the ideal that God puts forward for his people. It's not a warrior God. It's a God of peace, a God that says, I want to end war. I want to end domination. I want to have a people that love and care for and prefer one another. That's the heart of God. Um, again, what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this particular passage we're looking at today was shocking, okay? We read these things because we, we, we've grown up in the church or whatever. We've, we've read them. We've heard sermons. We've read books. And so we, we realize, you know, that there was a difference between what people thought and what Jesus said, but I don't think we really understand the depth of how shocking this really was. It was not at all what they were hoping to hear or what they wanted to hear or what they thought they would hear. Look at verse 23. And this is kind of the kicker. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, that's just great, Jesus. You're going to die. And now we're all going to die. I mean, that, I, I, I don't know. And again, I don't think 
we can fully understand the way of when he says to them, pick up your cross, because we don't have that in our culture. The cross today is really a fashion statement more than anything else. Go to the next slide. There's a... Lovely Mrs. Kanye there. She's got a cross on. Elton John, Kid Rock. Rihanna has a beautiful diamond-studded cross. Cross is really a fashion statement as much as anything. I don't know if any of those people, I'm not judging them. I'm just questioning, do they really know what the cross stands for as they wear it? The equivalent today in our culture would really be if we began to wear an electric chair around our neck. I've never seen that. I've never seen anybody with an electric chair pendant because that's what it is. The cross was, the purpose of it was used to execute criminals. That's, that's what it was for. And we don't do that. It was an instrument of torture and death. That's what it represented. Jesus is saying, let go of the power mentality. Just the whole conquering warrior thing, that's not how it's going to go down. Take on the role of sacrifice. Take on the role of that one that's subservient to others God isn't going to fix the world by conquering the bad guys. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, you need to begin to sacrificially love other people. That's what you need to begin to do. And I would just say to us, that includes people who really annoy you. You know that one neighbor that's such a pain? That guy. Your coworker who's always a jerk to you, yep. Um, the family member who is absolutely impossible, who you're always trying to think, how can we have a family gathering without inviting them? Those are the people. Um, those are the ones that Jesus is saying, I want you to learn to sacrificially love those people. This is still uh, fairly early in Jesus' ministry. He's, he has indicated to the guys, it's not, he's not done yet, he's got a ways to go. However, we are aware that Jesus, Jesus knew the end game. He knew where this thing was headed. He had the trajectory in mind. And he begins to let them know, as hard as it is what I'm saying to you today, as difficult as it may be for you to embrace this, I want you to understand there's life in it. And that's what I want us to understand today. To live sacrificially is to gain your life. Go to the next verse. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. That sentence makes absolutely no sense at all unless you understand the nature of the kingdom of God. God isn't going to overpower his enemies. Uh, he wants us to be a humble servants. He wants us to learn to love his enemies. Love our enemies. Last, uh, last verse, this is the key. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So here's the thing. The good news is um, <coughs> there's life. There's life in living sacrificially. If if that sentence ended, the Son of Man must be killed, period. Um, 
that wouldn't be a good plan. And everything that Jesus said would be wrong. But it doesn't end there. And he'll be raised to life. And I think what he's saying to us today is, as we follow the way of the cross, as we learn to love those that oppose us, and, and, and as we learn to live sacrificially, that we'll find life in our own, in our, in our own beings, in our own existence. So why don't we guys stand if the band would come back up. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.